Take my advice and go back to the time you came from. The future isn't what it used to be. An evil from the past. You look like it had come straight from hell. Has come to destroy the future. We're not going to have to go looking for it. It'll find us on an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Hello everyone out there in podcast land, welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of newbies to the show as well as those who have watched the entire show all the way through, and we are getting deep into season two with episode five, The Long Dark. I'm Scott, and with me as always is... Blake. Emily. Justin. Evan. Andrew. And John. There's some kind of weird virus going around, so we're missing several of our folks. But Nicole, Jesse, and Mike will return next week, hopefully. Before we get started, uh, just a reminder to please make sure that you like, subscribe, follow, whatever your app uh, does for you. Or if you're on YouTube, also hit that subscribe and notify button. It really does help the show grow. And I will say, based on the data I just looked at, half of you are not subscribed. So first, thanks for listening. But... You need to go one step further and click that button so you can subscribe. Please, please, please. Along with that, definitely leave a review for us. And right now, we are in week two of two for the contest to win my extra Sheridan figure. So if you go on Apple, iTunes, podcast, whatever the heck it's called, and leave a review, the next review I read next week will be the winner of that Sheridan figure. And we'll do a couple more giveaways like that as we keep going too. But be sure to go on Apple and give us a review by next week. So you are in the running for the competition to receive the action figure of John Sheridan. Along with that, we do have our Patreon, which is linked down below. And I did see somebody comment that they couldn't find us by searching Gray 17. Well, the link is right down below wherever you're listening. So just click on that link and join the Patreon. We have folks who are helping us out with behind the scenes content all the way up to our producers, our Gray Council, which are listed in the show notes as well below. And finally, we do have merch available. So click on that link as well. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those things. We still need voicemails from our Patreons who are at that tier. So please send us your messages. Thank yes. you. If you are at the tier that allows for you to probe, which is called probe, you can send in your questions or comments to the show and they will be played on the show itself all you need to do is go to anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast and you can click that little message button and you can record a message that is for our patreons in the probed i do have a review to read this week we have another canadian helping us out and that is from Jin stand 99 fresh and fantastic premise 
for a TV review podcast. I've always loved Babylon 5, having watched it during its original run. I was completely swept up in this amazing story and how all of the seemingly unimportant and throwaway details planted throughout early episodes by JMS bloomed into significant plot points and revelations seasons later. Getting to relive those thrilling days throughout the fresh through the fresh eyes of and observations of the newbies 30 years later is truly thrilling and about as close as it comes to getting to watch it like the first time once again then once the newbies are jettisoned at the airlock and the spoiler chat begins getting to relate those first time questions and predictions to experienced and current knowledge about the entire show's run adds such thoughtfulness meaning and new understanding to even a long time viewer of the show like me and thank you jen stand for not trying to diagnose any of us or telling us that some of us suck and some of us don't we really do appreciate the reviews like that and he did leave five stars so that's nice let's go ahead and dive into the long dark emily i think you have a synopsis for us yes i do so the episode starts with an unknown uh pre-jump gate era ship approaching babylon 5 and as we all know if you watch sci-fi the pre-whatever if it's jump gate warp ships you know something weird is gonna happen and it's probably gonna be some weird blast from the past which is what we get there are two people on board in cryogenetic pods but only one survives Um, when garibaldi franklin sheridan go to investigate the ship they open one of the pods and something comes out there's just like whoosh but it's more or less ignored Then, of course, weird things start happening on the station, and it's left to Garibaldi to figure it out, which is done with the help of the beloved Reginald Barclay from uh, TNG, if you're familiar with him. Um, So he's actually kind of a really off-the-wall character in this and seems somewhat delusional, but he's not. It turns out it's a shadow creature from um, one of the known Narn sectors that they've been avoiding and it was heading towards the rim just gonna leave out all the franklin shit huh <laughs> you know what that's best left for a long third <laughs> conversation about inappropriate doctor patient relationships on that note let's get into first impressions and we'll go to our newbies first and we're short a few of them but we'll go to andrew first first impressions on the long dark well first of all would we would we consider the a plot to be the this killer alien yeah okay so okay so the a plot uh to me in some ways feels a lot more like a spiritual successor to infection minus the cool body horror uh since i I guess i'll go ahead and address it uh dr franklin and mariah's chemistry non-existent yeah dr franklin continues to be a creep that's all i really have to say about this justin i think i'm probably going to be the only one here who say i didn't hate this episode i really didn't I thought the, you know, the plot with the shadow people, I thought we we learned more about them. We learned that there are that they're kind of scattered around in some locations and trying to get back to Zaha Doom and you know join the the shadow army or whatever we're going to call them. And you know, we learned that they can kind of take over people and have them do their bidding and even feed off of them and stuff like that. So now we know that there may be people who are under the influence of the shadow beings. And now I'm so happy because I can start talking about sleeper agents again, like I was doing back in season one. 
And that brings me a lot of joy. So I I didn't hate the episode. I really didn't. And John. Uh, How I have been so happy to have this episode, this recording, this episode come up because as I mentioned last week, I am flat out driving the Franklin hate train. Ivanova is on the good side now. She she was just limited basically by what I thought was uh, some stilted writing. Franklin is just flat out, unequivocally, the biggest creepy piece of shit that I have seen on television in a hot minute. Now, I, we can, I'll wait and we can dive into why later. But uh, I didn't particularly enjoy the episode, um, not even just because of the Franklin stuff. I thought we were talking about guest actors just hamming it up and just being terrible and i thought this episode had two of the more notable ones um but uh, i didn't I, I will say this a couple of silver linings i will get to justin's point we got more information i particularly enjoyed um and kills me that franklin delivered it the kind of like this is what happened this is what You've missed. We learned they got the jump gate tech from Centauri. We learned, um, you know, a, a, a bunch of there's an expository portion that I that I enjoyed. That was about the only thing I enjoyed on this episode. Well, actually, I take that back. The CGI again continued to be miles ahead of what we saw in season one. I mean, the way they boarded the ship and some of the other um, shots were pretty good. But uh, this was a stinker. And again, I will save all of my Franklin hate when we when we have that very specific segment. And Emily, I did it hate it but i am becoming becoming increasingly disappointed with how they write franklin's character i feel like it's such a disservice to him um especially because they do make him just cross the line into like inappropriate or unethical behavior so often it's it's really unsettling especially for a doctor but i actually really enjoyed uh having barclay (laughs) show up or broccoli as some might call him I thought it was nice to see him at first, like, because he was so disheveled. I'm like, wait, is that really him? And it is. And it made me happy. So I'll take it. And we'll go over to our first ones. Kevin. Well, I'm not a fan of this episode too much. Um, I think two good guest stars are wasted in this episode because I think the world of Dwight Schultz acting, um, I've been a fan of his since he was on a team uh, and of course on TNG and Anne-Marie Johnson is very good too. Um, seen her in other places. I think she was on um, West wing, if I'm not mistaken uh, among other places, but uh, having said that, this episode is not a particularly strong one. Um, there is some creepiness from from Franklin in this one. I thought Garibaldi had some good one-liners in this episode, which I wouldn't mind talking about. I thought this was a very strongly acted episode by by Jerry Doyle in particular. Um, but um, yeah, this would definitely be an episode that I would skip on a rewatch, I have to admit. So yeah, I am not a fan of this episode either. I mean, it has some good exposition in it with some various points that I'm sure we'll discuss through this. And, you know, having Dwight Schultz in it, he is a phenomenal actor. Although, you know, I I put in earlier, does this mean Babylon 5 is nothing but one of Barclay's holodeck fantasies? And judging by some of the creepy, cringy uh, relationship dynamics in it, it could fit within that context of one of his creepy holodeck fantasies. I'm just putting that out there. But yeah, just the overall, you know, cringiness of Dr. Franklin and some of his conduct in this one, there, there's definitely some issues and flaws with this episode, but there are those little expositional pieces sprinkled through it 
uh, that give it a little bit of redemption. But yeah, I agree. I don't think I'd watch it on a rewatch unless, you know, Scott was forcing us to do it. <laughs> as part of this podcast. And I would hopefully our friends that. will forgive us at the end of this, Scott. I would never do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> and for me, I'm going to stick with Justin on this one and say I'm not a I'm not against this episode at all. Um, I actually joked about last week how this episode's another one of those season twos. Oh God! But after watching it again, it gives us um, our first real I, okay, maybe second real horror episode of Babylon Five. Won't be the last, but definitely kind of goes into that territory. Also, we get a lot of little bits and tidbits here about what's going on. Jakar still knowing a little bit more than everyone else does, even though he's trying to let people know by warning them. Londo starting to get a little bit more involved in the politics and not in a good way, potentially. Yes, I think Franklin is, again, written poorly. And I think what it comes down to is they don't know what to do with the character yet. So he's basically Jim Kirk. And I'm sure when you guys watch the original series, you complain and hate on every single episode that Captain Kirk kisses somebody. I'm sure you do, because that's what you guys have done with Franklin since the beginning. So I'm sure that's the case when you watch original series. I did have to go back and look, though, to see who made the first move this time. And it was Franklin. He touched her cheek before she went in for the kiss. But I I think it does. it's not needed. I think as a doctor, he shouldn't do it. However, is it the end of the fucking world? Not really. And to that, John, go ahead. All right, well, let's talk about it. End, I mean, end of the world. Okay, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Hey, you came in hot, sir. I just... Well, I'm going to tell you, if this episode aired in 2022, 2023, I think he'd be canceled immediately. I mean, I, I don't think they'd... Have get you it. watched Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> Seriously? You think it would be canceled because they had a kiss? Have you watched anything on well, network television? I'm well, watching the I'm watching the, the redo of Quantum Leap right now. And actually, that show's more tame, but... Go watch what Scott Bakula does to people who don't know who he is on a weekly basis. I'm just saying there's a few episodes of How to Get Away with Murder that had some. I know. Okay. Go ahead, John. Clutch your pearls. I'm sorry to watch the Chandraverse. I'm sorry I don't watch network television. Let me put my prude head on real quick, which is apparently an odd fit for me. But in what world is it okay? I mean, we're not even, we can even talk about the power dynamics, right? Like not, not just about like, the inappropriateness where like, Oh, by the way, I know you just woke up from a hundred year stasis and you, you didn't oddly ask about your husband at first, but whatever. But like, we found your husband and all of his organs ripped out. Like the first thing she asked about wasn't about like, Oh, my husband. she was just like, Oh, my husband. And then like moved on. It was like, Oh, what's the blah, blah, blah. Anyways. <clears throat> but to go from that, this episode encompassed what two days, maybe a day, three days to be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, you were in stasis for a hundred years. You came out, your heart stopped. I saved your life. I think you're looking pretty good. Let me, uh, let me see if I can lay the foundation. Cause I know you're single now because your husband's dead as shit. So let me see if I can slide on in. And then he in fact does slide on in. The only out I will give him is that it wasn't as if it was against her will, which says a lot more about her, which we could talk about as well. But just using that position again, this is not the first time he's done creepy shit like this, but this is, I think the one that takes the absolute cake and I would love to hear more defense of why this is okay. I don't think anyone's saying it's okay. Thanks, I just Kevin. think that it's not as bad as as what you're making it out to. But 
but I, I could be wrong, perhaps, um, but I'll let others speak for themselves. I did laugh out loud big time when they're talking about that. You know, and Garibaldi's like moving kind of fast there, aren't you, Doc? And uh, and then the captain's like, I want to put a watch on her for 24 hours. And I don't mean you. That's what, that made me laugh. When Garibaldi tells you to tap the brakes, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. like, hey, can you stop being so fucking creepy? <laughs> I mean, yes. It, you know, and it, it was pretty laughable. He's like, well, my quarters was closer than med lab. It's like, yeah, okay. She was having a medical event of some sort, and you take her to your quarters. Come on, man. It was unclassified. Like he passed out, and he was like, awesome. I got a place right down the street. Let's <laughs> it's pre- it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. But it's, I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean Scott's hundred percent right. I mean, there's there's a whole then writing right now out there that would be, you know, worse if not on par. I need that sign to write that on my and I need somebody to be a notary public and make sure that his signature's on there when it gets signed in triplicate. Then I'm right. <laughs> you you say that's a Scott. that's a podcast holiday right there. <laughs> like Let's talk about Star Trek too. Oh, my eye twitch. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, and i get it it's not necessarily world in especially when you look at some of what's on television now there, there are pieces i think the biggest issue and scott you brought up the original series with kirk getting the girl and surprised he didn't end up with you know space herpes or something by the end of the of the series through there with all of the action kirk seemed to get through god there mccoy is a miracle worker we'll just leave it at that but the dynamic has always been even back from then you know it wasn't the doctor patient thing i think it would be a different lens if it was mccoy with a patient on the bio bed doing that versus you know the captain that gets the girl uh next generation that became Riker um that hooked up with half of space in season one um you know so there's those different dynamics and it's still a power dynamic thing but i think that creepier part is it's the doctor role in this one and i think the other part that adds to the creepiness factor here and it was mentioned earlier in someone's first thoughts was the acting just wasn't that great between the two with the chemistry. Yeah. And I think that's part of what adds to it is, is that the acting of the relationship between the two, the dynamic and the chemistry just wasn't there. Now that could be that they just did not hit it off well with the scene. It could have been a last minute casting. I don't know, but just there was no chemistry in that scene between the participants. And I honestly think at this point, um, the writing to me early season one season one into season two the writing for franklin really struggles mm-hmm. and i do think we hit a turning point later um that's not so much spoiler i mean we will hit a turning point with the writing for franklin but this ain't it well and without going into any spoiler territory i think that turning point actually answers some questions that you all have about Franklin. And I w- I'll be the fr- uh, the second to say then that uh, I agree that Franklin is the weakest of the characters so far in terms of writing. Justin, what do you got? Well, and that's all I was going to say is I think this is more of an issue of writing where I think maybe they're trying to make Franklin more of a ladies' man character and it's just not coming across very well. Um, the Franklin wouldn't be the first doctor to meet a partner in that kind of situation and he definitely won't be the last. Um, the way he kind of came across it, I think is, could have been done a little bit better, but also coming from the other side of the coin, um, she even admitted herself that she was kind of stuck in a loveless marriage. 
So her kind of response to her initial response to her husband's death was kind of weird about how she can't cry because of her tear ducts are all dried up or whatever. But the fact that when she, she was back at the, um, the, the cryo tube and basically said, yeah, we really were only together to try and get into space essentially. Um, it really didn't, you know, surprise me at all then that she was ready to move on because she was just stuck in someplace she didn't really want to be anymore. So John? Yeah, I definitely agree that the chemistry, if that's what they were trying to go for, and the acting um, was was not good. I mean, it was it was pretty terrible. Um, I guess, you know, there's a there's some specific lines I wanted to talk about, but um, what so to, to Justin's point. So what is because, you know, Scott, Blake, you guys talk about the writing. I just I can't imagine I can't think of what would be the possible point of the storyline. So when writing it and going over it, what does this add to the character? What does this add to the story? Like what value are we getting out of this other than to make Franklin super unappealing and super just disgusting? Maybe to have a reason to have the actress back later. She, cause she said she wants to come back after she visits earth. So groundwork for a love story. Maybe, maybe, you know, you never know. Maybe they end up getting married down the line. I don't know, John. I mean, well, the- Without being spoilery, you know, Franklin is capable of enormous compassion of of a high ethical standard most of the time, not in this episode. Um, And he he really is a great character. But unfortunately, you guys haven't seen it yet. And that's that's all I want to say without getting into spoilers. And a a lot of it, too, as far as the purpose of the writing, I mean, the the show is highly serialized. There is very much an arc there. There are pieces sprinkled in this episode um, that impact that arc. Uh, I think the writing for the most part with this one, as far as the plot with Franklin specifically, honestly, feels a little bit like filler for this episode. And I could see an argument that that's not necessarily needed. Uh, that there could have been enough other material put in from the pieces to flush that out. But it more or less served as a vehicle to introduce some of those plot points that are sprinkled in that connect to the larger arc, I think. And it just this would have been better as more of a background B plot. And, and we've seen this type of episode with the doctor falling for the patient. Uh, we saw this in Deep Space Nine, I think, a couple times with um, Bashir having some uh, cringy thoughts and relations with people that he was caring for. Uh, didn't crusher even do it once yeah even crusher there well you know crusher's the ghost with a ghost so (laughs) i think i think you're i think you're thinking of the uh the trill episode yeah yeah that's the one i was thinking of Mm -hmm. thank you kevin but i mean so they could have two things about that the first is if that's what they were looking for the doctor patient love angle because i think justin you mentioned too yes we have seen that i mean that happens in real life right somebody saves your life there's a connection if you were building that that would be great, right? You could have laid the seeds like, oh, maybe there's a will they, won't they? And her last conversation would have been the linchpin of that. Like, look, I just came out of high, you know, cryogenic freeze. My husband just died. I need to process all this. I need to go bury him. And like, that could have been the capstone. You could have eliminated the kiss and the creepiness and still achieved the same thing. And I think you could have given him a little bit of Garibaldi's um, kind of detective work in this in, you know, using like, 
I don't know, whatever. I will say I did think, and I don't know if it was the acting, but I wrote it down. I was, I thought for sure she had a little body snatchers thing going on when he came back. She's like, and he was like, what are you doing in here? And she was like, what? This is where I, you know, this is all I have. And I was like, Oh, there's a clone. If I ever seen one, what's up? Secret Wars. Awesome. And then it turns out, no, just really bad acting. So, uh, but that's my, so, I mean, that's my thing in this episode <clears throat> thus far. I keep waiting. You said the same thing about oh. Ivanova and I'll give it to you. Right. It turned out. Okay. She became I'm a sorry. Who? Oh shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not this shit again. Oh, no. <laughs> He's regressing. <laughs> the same thing about- that's two more hate mails coming at us. <laughs> I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt, but thus far, like I said, with Ivanova, it was more like, it just felt like they weren't giving the actress enough to be able to shine outside of some stereotypical, I'm a hard ass woman, blah, blah, blah. With Franklin though, they keep giving him, he's arrogant. He does whatever he wants. He thinks he knows what's right above even. I mean, I've asked this question about like, um, uh, rank and, and falling under chain of command and, and he just does what he wants. So thus far, my view of Franklin is it's all been negative. They haven't really given much of anything, in my opinion, to soften it up and doubling down with this type of like, well, by the way, I'm also going to take advantage of this dynamic with this fresh patient just makes it so much harder to, to get back into the, I'm a good guy. I just, I find it very hard to believe that I'll come around, but I guess, I don't know. We'll see. But John, I've never met a doctor that doesn't have a bit of an ego. And I, I apologize to all the doctors out there. I love you all. But even all, all, all my, you, I guess you have to have kind of a little bit of an ego to be in that kind of profession. Especially yeah, you know. surgeons in particular. Yeah. That is a well-earned stereotype where, um, you know, I've I've had some experience in the family with with surgeons, unfortunately, and uh, yeah, they're 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 pretty egomaniacs sometimes. I was thinking ER doctors too because they have to be confident in their. Sure. Right. Not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, yeah, the the reality of the job and having to be that sort of confident can filter over into other areas where it may not play out as well. Well, and you have to put up with a lot of horrible things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to put up with that and build that kind of ego. So, I mean, the fact that Franklin is egotistical and kind of an asshole. Well, kind of is. Yeah. And yeah, fr- frankly, that me. wears a lot of hats because he's a xenobiologist. He's a surgeon. He's a, a trauma surgeon. Surgeon sometimes because he's whatever the plot needs during the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, he just you know, talking about plot. Sorry, I was going to say no, no, no. About, it's okay. Go ahead about plot needs there, and that goes back to you know, John. You were mentioning that kind of body snatchers thing, and I think that's part of the plot mechanics in this one uh, with the writing. Because they needed a way to, and that's part of the, uh, they needed a way to keep the audience guessing whether she was possessed by this creature, whether she was somehow doing this. But to make that work, they had to have her close to the central cast of the show, the main parts of the show. So they had to have her interacting with somebody in some fashion. And again, not great writing the way they did it, but I think that was the vehicle they chose to do it, was having that connected with uh, Franklin. That's a really good point, Blake. I just wish they hadn't done it quite this way. Yeah, no, I, and I can see that. Blake, you got something else? No. I'm, I'm going to add to um, one of the things this episode has that's important is the writer. And not that the writer matters at all. Scott Frost, he's not going to come back as a writer. But this is one of the last episodes of Babylon 5 
that is not written by JMS. You're going to have a couple by Larry Dottilio, who is the second in command of Babylon 5 at this point. And you're going to have a few from Peter David. And if you're a comic book fan, you know who Peter David is. But aside from that, JMS is going to write the bulk of the episodes. And I think part of that, and he said this to himself in his autobiography, is he wanted more control of the show as we move forward. So we have a few more episodes of sporadic, either it's JMS or it's Larry or it's Peter. But in about six, seven weeks, it is the JMS show, except for one episode by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> so Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which well, that, by the way, that episode by Neil Gaiman is really good, but we we got some time. Um, and you mentioned the Scott Frost episode because the other the main thing he was writer on was Twin Peaks. Yeah, which makes sense. And, and there's some very similar pieces in the atmosphere between what happens on Twin Peaks and some of the supernatural elements and various pieces that, and that could also be some of the clunkiness in the writing is trying to take those pieces he's familiar with and plug them into this because and we've seen that too because the writer on infection you saw pieces in infection that were very much from some of their other works mm -hmm. that they had worked on in other sci-fi pieces mm -hmm. so i think i think we see the same thing here we've got a writer using what they're familiar with in a universe that doesn't necessarily work with it which is another reason why i think jms is going to start steering the ship a lot more here very very soon so for better or worse if you like jms's writing buckle up because He's going to write the bulk of the show from here on out. John, what do you got? Um, so real quick before, because uh, I wanted to switch gears and talk about Jakar and Londo, even though they mm -hmm. weren't in the episode a lot. Um, I did want to ask, because uh, usually you'll either offer it, but I was curious what the Usenets, what did anyone at the time have an issue with Franklin's conduct? Not at this point. And I went back and looked to knowing that this was going to be a conversation. And from what I can tell, Franklin didn't really come up in mu as much at all in the conversations up to this point. Um, I think mainly because, again, of all the char main characters on the cast, aside from like Lanier and Veer and so forth, he has the least amount to do. So there hasn't been much conversation. I will say on this episode, there was some conversation about John Sheridan and being too hunky-dory, <laughs> but <laughs> with Franklin, not so much. Okay. Um Okay, yeah. I mean, we can listen. I <clears throat> I would happily say I want to just keep shitting on Franklin, but I assume people get it and we can move on and talk yes. about. So, I think we've killed that horse several times. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but so I did want to talk about. So Londo, obviously, my love for Londo um, is everlasting. However, the chinks in the armor keep coming because <laughs> I just my dude, man. Like so, Jakar's um, involvement super interesting like you said clearly knows more is clearly subtly trying to either tell people or dive in more right he's hearing things you see at the very end we get that lovely photo uh photo the drawing in the book um but the the opposite of that is londo's at best i could say i don't know laissez-faire attitude about it because it's just kind of gross so jakar's like oh look i know this threat i have seen it I understand it's coming. We need to be a, a, like about it. Like, let's learn more. Londo, what I picked up was he was like, yeah, I know this threat because I'm working with him. So I'm a bounce. So you guys don't figure that out. Mm -hmm. It's such a disappointment. I'm still holding on to, I know we're not in predictions yet, but I'm still holding on to when it comes down to the crux of it, it seemed like it's building this season. <clears throat> he'll have a choice to make. And I am still praying with all of that lovely hair that he will make the right choice. But boy, that's two episodes, at least in a row, that it is kind of weird to be team Londo. I was going to ask this question, but you answered it already in that because you said Londo was being laissez-faire. I asked, I was going to ask, is he being laissez-faire or is he trying to cover his own ass? But you answered it yourself there. 
Emily, what do you got? Yeah, I agree with John on that. I would. I was. I was surprised by Londo's response of just like, mm, whatever. Just gonna walk on out of this meeting and um, go do some other stuff. Probably go to the casino and watch dancers or who knows what he's doing. And I actually thought the end scene with Jakar and the book was interesting because they have obviously had experience with the species. There's like, that seems like a solid history. And I was trying to figure out the context of a book if it was one of their like religious texts that may have talked about it. If it was more like a history book or what sort of book it really was. But I I did like that they gave us a little more information about him and what the Narns actually know about some of these regions of space that they just have been avoiding. And it seems like they can no longer avoid and ignore what's there. She's going to hate this answer about the book, isn't she, Scott? I, was gonna, I wasn't even going to say a word, but <laughs> we'll be happy to talk more me. about what Jakar knows <laughs> beyond the rim. I hate you all. <laughs> Justin. I mean, I think to make a point on Emily's book real quick, I I think it's probably a little bit of both um, because you have a lot of, even in human societies, you have a lot of religious texts that are also viewed as historical texts, texts as well. So um, I think probably with all the candles and what he was wearing, I think he was probably in some kind of like religious thing, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was, if it was also kind of like a chronicle of the old war um, from back a long time ago. Um, but kind of getting to the point that I was going to make is I think that maybe, I mean, I think Londo ran right off to Morden to kind of report, Hey, there's kind of starting to talk about you guys. Um, but I think that, um, I think that probably at this point, because Jakar really kind of already, I think, maybe uh, suspects Londo's up to something. And even the comment that Garibaldi made about when when he said to um, to Amos, I think I wrote it down and said, you're about to accuse the Centauri ambassador with being in league with the devil, which may be which may not be too far from the truth. So maybe even Garibaldi suspects something or maybe he was just talking shit about Londo. I don't know, but. I just I just thought that was a very interesting quote compared to what we've seen from uh, from uh, Londo so far. Garibaldi came and stopped himself from getting shot in the back. You think he knows more about Londo than he puts on? <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I was going to bring up uh, Garibaldi's line about Londo being in league with the devil. But uh, I guess that kind of also segues to uh, just sort of uh, jump ahead uh, for a minute at the end kind of insinuates that now Sheridan and Ivanova know about they, they don't I don't think they know what it is but they know something is coming because they bring up the Jahadur is that what it's called Zahadum Zahadum yeah and the uh, obviously now Jakar knows about the existence of these shadow people I will add with the, the Londo comment the the other comment I love from Jakar in this episode is go back to where you came from the future is not what it was or not what it should be or not what it was or whatever not what it was mm. I think what you said that's a good line John to Emily's point about wondering you know how old is the sex is it religious you know made me think more about you know we've seen different levels of knowledge about who knows what clearly some people know exactly what this is 
it seems, or at least it seems like some people know, you know, oh no, no, I know exactly who this is. I know what they are. You know, the alien from the non-aligned planets was like, we've seen this before. We know who this is. This is bad news bears. It's got to go. Jakar's book, same thing. It seems like the Narn probably have a good idea of what it is. Um, last week's episode with the pilot, it leads me to believe because he also experienced it and probably others. There's, I would assume, whispers of things in hyperspace. So, you know, it, it made me wonder just what our level of knowledge between all of the different characters and, and species and, and what it is. And, you know, kind of a carryover of, of our conversation. I think it was last episode about, you know, what yeah, because last, or well, the techno majors were like, what's your obligation to share not only knowledge or to actually take action? And I think we're going to see a little bit even more of that, hopefully in the coming episodes as this grows and, and they, they, the shadows kind of show themselves more, um, you know, we'll, people will have choices to make, right? Like, again, my boy Londo, unfortunately, also knows more than he's letting on and, and is benefited from it. So obviously there's a reason to keep it quiet, but there's other characters that seemingly at the moment don't have any reason to sit on this info. And in fact, it would be beneficial to share it, to get it out there. So um, I, I'd be curious to see how that kind of plays itself out uh, in the next couple episodes. Emily. Well, since John was talking about information and who knows what, I thought that was a good aspect for Garibaldi in this episode because, um, you know, Amos is obviously struggling you know dude has like ptsd and so he seems to be easily dismissed by everyone as like oh he's just you know office rocker he's seeing things he's making stuff up he or whatever their perception is and garibaldi's the one who's like he might be onto something here like this dude has obviously seen some things he's been some places and like maybe he's worth talking to he yeah, some of the stuff he says might sound kind of Looney Tunes, but the entire situation of there's two people on the ship, one of them is dead and lacking organs. Like, that's kind of bizarre. So maybe go the person who says some of the bizarre things and see what you can find. So I thought it was really nice to see Garibaldi actually take him seriously and realize that, you know, um, he'd been through some stuff that people were obviously dismissing the repercussions of and plus we know garibaldi likes looney tunes well yes he does it's one of his favorite things <laughs> I, I would say we actually learn a lot about garibaldi in this episode i mean when he says i've had the same dream or i've had that dream too that, that tells you a lot about what we don't know inside garibaldi's head like so going back to who knows what and what characters know what pieces of information jms is a writer that really does telegraph where he's going at times and this has been a line we've discussed in the show. It was very, very early on. And I think it was Delenn who said, nobody hears exactly who they appear or who they seem to be. It was Jakar. He told or it was Jakar that said it, yeah. And that is very much JMS telegraphing his point. And, and he will openly admit to that, that no character in here is who they seem when they seem to be it. Um, so watching some of these interesting uh, character points with what's coming to be different revelations and how they act. Just keep that quote in mind. I want to point out, you just got schooled by a newbie and it was quite fun to watch. It was. <laughs> I remember that scene because they were talking about ants on the flower. Yeah, it was. I was thinking it was Dylan in the gathering, but you're right. It was Jakar with the uh, ants on the flower. John. Going for the newbies. That's for the, I don't know, 200. We'll talk about it beyond the rims. That's what's up, Emily. All right. <laughs> we, we've got more of them, so keep it up. 
No, I don't think we'll win that game. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think this is one of Garibaldi's better episodes for me. I mean, I really think his uh, Jerry Doyle's acting was really good. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think his character development was really good. Um, again, that's why I thought, oh, maybe Franklin could have benefited from taking a little bit of the detective aspect away. His empathy with the character, uh, which, you know, at first when he was the raving lunatic, I wrote down, I was like, oh, it's good to see that the world's going to end crazies are still out there in space in a hundred or 200 years. So that's nice. That's comforting. Um, but his ability to, to empathize and to Scott's point, that, that direct line, like I've had that dream, <clears throat> I thought was one of the more powerful statements I've heard on the show. It was one of probably the best moments of this episode. And with the knowledge they had at the end, you know, that uh, Ivanova has, I wonder, I don't know if it's a big enough plot point to probably dive into. So I don't necessarily want to save this for the end, but I wonder if Garibaldi having that information would make it a point to go back and correct his service record because, um, you know, he throws a line and says, Oh, this guy's got enough medals for a gift shop. But then Sheridan comes back and basically says like, Oh yeah, I looked through his transcript or what, you know, the incident report of what happened and they basically called him a psycho. And so I wonder if it seems like those might be two competing things. If Garibaldi will have enough care or, or gumption to take that info and, and kind of get this guy's life back. Um, you know, he's clearly a disheveled homeless vet and this could be the thing that changes it so um I, I i enjoyed that aspect a lot of it and hope that again i don't think it's a major plot point but it would be a nice little button on the story he'll continue on to run the pathfinder project which will bring voyager home womp womp no not even the voyager fans are gonna back me up on that one there are none here wow. kevin's like staring off into space okay <laughs> justin what you got <laughs> I only know, I what only gives you the impression i like voyager <laughs> we've had this discussion multiple times <laughs> that was an interesting storyline in Voyager. For yeah. Go ahead, Justin. I, I thought it was really interesting the way that JMS did work kind of um, soldier kind of PTSD experiences into this episode. Like, I think that, um, what was it, around the mid-90s that you started hearing um, examples coming back from the Gulf War and stuff like that. And kind of, it finally started getting kind of talked about um to a to a certain degree but i just kind of picked up on that early and just kind of i really liked garibaldi's um kind of sympathy for the guy like like john was saying just how yeah you know what i i i don't rag on him because i understand him i understand where he's coming from he's been there so i thought i really did kind of uh like the way JMS started kind of working that in there. And I, and I don't think it's the first time either that he's kind of addressed that kind of issue either. So there was one really good line in there that I wrote down and it said evil sometimes wears a pleasant face. And I'm wondering how often that's going to come back in this universe, because I feel like that can apply to so many things and what we've seen so far, especially if these shadow creatures have some level or some ability to control the people they're feeding off of. I mean, I think Morden kind of has a punchable face, but some people might see it as pleasant. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm excited. I kind of, the the imposters, body snatching, invasion, like the squirrels, Marvel stuff, I, that it can be done really well, but it always makes me nervous because it's such an easy out as a writer. Just be like, oh yeah, by the way, that person wasn't, oh, it's not working. Be like, oh, well, they were a shadow the whole time or, oh, well, so there's a part of me that hopes that's not the way it goes. Um, but Ivanova off crutches, so there's a development. She's gotten better. <laughs> now she can <laughs> cut around the station. The other quick 
scene that I wanted to mention was I, I thought the tentacle gag at the at the um, at the lunch counter was funny. Um, I wish they do occasional other scenes like that in, in B5 just to kind of, um, you know, I don't know. I thought it was funny. This was a Garibaldi. This is a Garibaldi tour of force episode. I mean, you have his reply to that is just perfect. The Drazi turns it to him. You want some? No, I'm trying to cut cut that. (laughs) (laughs) The other one that was funny with him with the one liner, you know, he's like, uh, he said the day of judgment was coming. Did it? He's like, not that I know of, but I may have missed a staff meeting. I love Garibaldi. This is a very, very good episode for him. Yeah, it was a really good Garibaldi episode. Which is a bummer that Nicole's not here because this is one of the only times I like everyone universally has been effacive in their praise of Garibaldi. It's like <laughs> so great. And she's off being sick in Italian. Uh, I will say another wow. one. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes our Italian fan base. Like, can we have one episode without offending some population? You can send your hate no. mail to gray17podcast at gmail.com or put in a review. Give us five stars, please. Put in a review and you may win a John Sheridan action figure. Five stars for our ability to offend. Yeah, and it's an equal opportunity offense. You know, I mean, I have to just pick on other various groups. And um, I, I will, the last thing I'll say uh, about this episode was, again, that exposition drop we got. Uh, I don't know, guys, if we can make it and, uh, I don't know, clean up our diets and our lifestyles, which isn't going to happen. But in about 130 years, we'll get first contact with the Centauri. So we got that to look forward to. So excited about that. And to that point, too, one of the aspects of sp- space travel sci-fi that I have always enjoyed and it gets hit on, on quite a few different like stories and short stories and like is the idea of us when you go out and be the first explorers of deep space, you're probably going to get passed up. And I like that idea that right now to get to Proxima Centauri, it would take us about 90 years at the speed we have right now but if you go light speed or faster it'll take you five years so between when we actually can figure out how to send a generational ship or a cryo ship 90 years that's a lot of time to figure out how to go faster than light and just pass them up and some of my favorite like little stories in sci-fi are when the colonists land and find other humans because they just kind of left a little too early nobody had the gumption to be like let's go get those guys we can try we can make it travel so fast we can go get them or i would just let they're fine it'll be there's just a- you you always got to be the rain on the parade john i understand i just go, here's I got a- it. there's always a plot hole i understand no no, no. it's because <laughs> offer that right now i would go immediately if they're like hey look we got this cryo chamber where you do want to be explored i would sign up so fast but then to your point if i landed and there were already other humans they're like damn dude what took so long i would be pissed <laughs> that's <laughs> the other thing too i i thought about when watching this episode that babylon 5 was ahead of its time is in the 90s there was no commercial space travel okay there just wasn't there was talks of it but it didn't exist but she points out that she volunteered for a commercial space travel mission within the next year or two the intention is to send up eight folks on a commercial flight of spacex around the moon it's called dear moon so i mean we're there and it's just interesting that babylon 5 figured out too that commercial space travel is going to be a thing way before we're actually in proper canon universe, like a hundred years 
ago, which is not too far from here, space travel is corporatized, for better or worse. Hi, Elon. How are you? Yeah, that might be my only pause in that quick volunteer. I'd be like, wait, hold on. Who does he have? <sighs> I still hold my nose and I'm still a fan of SpaceX because it's actually making NASA move faster, which is nice. But like, the less he's involved, the more yes. trust goes up. Yes. Was, and they could put him on one of their rockets, fire the thing off, and forget what way they shot it. <laughs> and then he arrives in Babylon 5 200 years later. Hi. At least doing? he won't be able to tweet anymore. Exactly. Oh, he'd find a way. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up and move into questions and predictions. For those who are just joining us, our newbies will provide us questions and predictions they have after this episode because they have not watched past this. And then the folks who have watched the whole show, in this case, Blake, Kevin, and I, will answer those questions just as soon as they leave and frustrate them to all hell. So let's dive into questions and predictions, and let's go to Emily first. Questions and predictions. So it's one kind of multi-part question, I guess. Um, so the creatures we saw in this episode are shadowy creatures, and they are known by the Narn. But something about them look different than the creatures that Morden talked to. So I was wondering if they're the same or if they're different shadow creatures and they're actually like enemies and that's the basis for the great war that's coming are these shadow creatures gonna like have a brawl and everyone else is trapped in the middle <laughs> this is not an answer to her question at all but anyone notice when we do see the the creature kind of it looks like a gremlin from gremlins does it not it's got the big ears i thought there were horns Okay. To me, they look like horns, but well, and, and definitely in Jakar's yeah. book, they're horns. But when you look at the creature, I thought gremlins. Yeah, there was that one scene where they looked a little more ear than horns. But the scene a few episodes back with Morden, they didn't. Something about the shape seemed different. So I don't know if that was just maybe. No, I had the same thing. I, I thought it was. First of all, I was yeah, I was disappointed. They kept building it up like this episode he was like oh it's like something straight out of hell and it was this and i was like man they are really selling us a plate i hope they can deliver it in 1990 whatever fuck cgi and then they <laughs> and he was just floating and i was like nope nope they couldn't they couldn't pull it off that was so going back to the usenets jms flat out said mm -hmm. he wished he'd had more time on episodes like this that he was moving moving the ball so far ahead in terms of visual effects that sometimes they miss the kick. <laughs> so That's my only question. Is there just one shadow species or is it two and they're going to have a brawl and everyone else is trapped in the middle? That sounds like a prediction and a question all wrapped into a nice little ball that I'm not going to answer for you until you leave. Of course you're not. You're welcome. Justin, questions, predictions? Well, now that we know that the shadows can kind of, I guess I'll say possess and control people. Um, is Morden willingly participating or is he himself being controlled? Um, that's something that I kind of wondered uh, when that whole plot point kind of came out. So um, Justin, real quick to Emily's question, is this the shadows or not? You are saying these are the shadows. I think they are. I think they're, I, because I think somebody had said that the, the creature would, I think they said at the end, uh, when Sheridan and Ivanova were on the bridge, I'm going to call it the bridge, the control room, whatever it's called. Um, CNC. They, CNC. Um, that they said that the creature got on board and changed the course of the ship to go to Zaha Doom. And I think that the creature was on the way to join 
basically he was trying to get home, you know, ET phone home, trying to join the rest of the shadow army. But um, that's my, that's my belief anyway. Um, and then in terms of predictions, um, I think Jakar is going to be, start becoming more and more important in terms of identifying the shadows and even starting to kind of lead the struggle against the shadows a little bit. So I kind of think we're going to start seeing kind of more of a leadership role um, from him. I think kind of he turn maybe ends up being kind of the key of the struggle against the shadow people. And then I've got a feeling Londo will do something soon to kind of try and sabotage all that. Um, whether he does it overtly or covertly, but I think he's going to start passing enough information to Morden that Morden's going to be forced to act on Babylon five, which could have some dire consequences. So those are my questions and predictions. Andrew. I have one of each here uh, for my question. Will Dr. Franklin ever learn boundaries? <laughs> uh, and prediction. Uh, so now that it's established that pretty much every main character knows about like like something related to the shadow people, uh, I think that there will be an investigation. And John, question predictions. Yeah, so, man, listening to Emily and Justin's questions actually kind of introduced a a question for myself too, only because I think at first I'm more like Justin just assumed those were the shadows and that was it. And what the kind of picture we saw looked like the picture in Chikar's book. But then to Emily's point, I do at least remember, I mean, I haven't gone back and done a side by side, but I do remember them looking differently. So I don't know if, I mean, maybe they just take different forms. So I don't know at the moment, I guess I'm going to go with, they're the same people because they're going to the same place. And I think they're, they're going to meet up. It's like HQ. So I guess I'll go with that. But, um, you know, my question with them is, you know, I don't know that we've established hundred percent that they can take over and do these kind of body snatching things, unless one of the first ones wants to jump in and just tell me I'm, I'm wrong. But, um, I guess my questions are about how they operate. So her husband, Mariah's husband, his cause of death was all of his organs were taken out. So the thing ate all of his organs, but, um, both Mariah herself and Amos both talk about them basically being snacks and kind of eaten on, um, they lose weight, but neither one of them, as far as I remember, there was any mention of them losing any organs. So what exactly are they snacking on? Are they just eating body mass, muscle, fat tissue? Like what is it? What are these things eating? What are they subsisting on? Well, that's a, that's a question, which I assume either you're not going to answer it or maybe we don't know, but, um, and I guess the other question is for me is, do they in fact have the ability to, uh, take someone's form or influence someone or control someone, I guess is a, is a probably a, a better question about that. Those are my questions. Oh, and the Sheridan or Garibaldi, the altering or updating his military history. I don't know if he'll talk about that, but as far as predictions go. So unfortunately uh, I tend to put, agree a little bit with Justin. I think Lando is about to go in deeper before he gets out or before he's forced to make a choice. But my prediction is that Jakar is going to be the one that discovers his deception. Um, I think the show has laid enough groundwork that they're, you know, antagonists to each other in both good and bad ways. And um, it would make sense for them to, to get more of that interaction and more of that conflict. And so I think, and it also makes just kind of pragmatic sense that again, Jakar is, seems to know a lot about it, seems to be leading the charge 
at least a little bit to, Hey, we need to do something about this, or at least he's, he's proactive where Lando is clearly the opposite. Um, and I think it'll come to a head and I think Jakar eventually will become suspicious and he'll be the one to discover it. And I think that will be the big character kind of, um, dust up and Lando in general. I think this will be a big Lando season at the end. And I think he'll have to make a choice. Um, I'm praying and hoping that he'll make the right choice. And if I'm being honest, again, I think I've said it previously, the way that people outside of not just me talk about their love for Londo leads me to believe that he is going to be going towards the good side. I know people like a good villain. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I love Breaking Bad and people love Walter White and he was a flat out monster. (laughs) So I get it. But um, that's my hope, at least, and my prediction that he'll end up doing the right thing in the end and that that choice will be made this season. Okay, and we'll go ahead and wrap up our conversation with our newbies there. Again, if you are just joining Babylon 5 with us and watching for the first time, this is where you should exit, because once we come back from the credits, we will be spoiling quite a bit as we talk about all these questions and predictions. Before you leave, though, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble, whatever the links are down below, just click them all. Help me out. And again, a reminder that only half of you are subscribed, and you should fix that. And finally, one more time, if you want to win that John Sheridan action figure, add a review to Apple Podcasts before next week, and we will be listing off who the winner is for that. Until next week, I am Scott, and with me has been... Boy. Emily. Justin. Evan. Andrew. One and only Chuckle Nugget, John. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, final warning. If you have not watched past the long dark, please exit now because we will be spoiling. And even though this episode was a little bit ho-hum, there's actually a lot to talk about in terms of what's going to come up next. So... Before we talk about what really is going to come up next, let's talk about what's not going to come up next, guys, and that is, will Garibaldi help Amos get back on his feet? No, because Amos pretty much walks off at the end, uh, which I will say, just as a fan of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, the fact that when he walked off, he pretty much just had his towel with him. And he actually said, this is all a man needs. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Got all I need right here. I was waiting to see if any of the newbies were Hitchhiker fans. I guess not. Make sure you have your towel. So yeah, no, Amos does not return, uh, unfortunately, uh, because I do think that uh, that character could be interesting. And obviously, the portrayal from Dwight Schultz was really good. I especially like when he pops out at the beginning and goes, hi, I'm Dwight Schultz. I'm here. But um, yeah, no, Amos is not going to return. So let's talk about what 
is actually important to the episode in terms of lore, and that is the shadows. So well, what actually, are the... before you oh, jump into shadows, Scott, kind of a transition there and also to lore of the show, is there's some groups that think that this episode actually had the first appearance of the Rangers when uh yes. is doing his preaching. One of the guys watching him in the background was a ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though we don't yeah. know what they are, this actually the Rangers first appear in this episode. Mm. And I actually went and looked to see uh, production order wise and everything I'm seeing says this was produced in order because there were some pieces in it that almost made me wonder if this was produced kind of out of sequence or mm-hmm. aired out of sequence. And it wasn't, but it, there's a few pieces in there that because yeah, you know, all these comment about Londo, he kn- it's almost like he knows more than he should at this point. And then the appearance of the ranger in the background almost made it feel like there were some pieces in this episode that were not quite introduced to yet. I think part of that too is JMS is getting into his groove and he mm-hmm. knows what's going to come up next and all this stuff too. And I, he, he points out, and I think you'll mention this too, Blake, that down the road with Londo, he's starting to sprinkle more Easter eggs in mm-hmm. as we go too. And um, yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. So let's get into the creatures and the shadows. So the first question our newbies had is what are the creatures subsisting on? Uh, people? <laughs> I mean, I, I get what he's saying is the folks who died on Babylon 5 didn't have their organs taken out, but I'm guessing when you have 10 years to fly around the ship, you have more time to take on a meal. Yeah. And then the next question, which also goes into prediction as well, is do they have the ability to take a certain form or control others? This comes from Justin. Again, Justin is on the belief that the creature we saw is the shadows. And as we know... It's not. The the shadows are bringing together their forces. This is one of many different underlings that are coming to support the shadow, just like the Drock and so many others. But so his question about the able to take control, I mean, we didn't see that. There's no body snatchers here, although I can see where these guys would see that, especially the beginning of the episode. And also there's very much an alien vibe, especially an alien vibe. The writing played to that. There was a couple yeah. scenes in there that were written specifically to make you wonder. And then it goes to the, that goes to the next question. Are the creatures from the episode the same as the Morden creatures? Or are they different? And again, yes, they are different creatures. Uh, is there more than one type of shadow creature? There's the shadows. Uh, but then, the, as you've said, they have their allies. So there's the drop, there's this thing, and different pieces. So it's not so much different types of shadow creatures as it is different races that are allied with and well it's not even allied with it would be more servants to the shadows yes, the, right. the shadows don't have allies they have servants yeah it's like the playground man you got the one big ass bully and every other bullies kind of circle around them like gravitational force well actually it's i'd call it more like a gang even that there's yeah. because you've got a hierarchy in it too these are the drop for example will be more of a higher level you know more trusted within the servants of the shadows versus you know these guys who may just be out to cause trouble throughout the galaxy and not necessarily be the ones who get trusted to you know go put a keeper on the centauri emperor or something like that so there's also a hierarchy there not just uh not just a bully mentality i agree with that is Uh, morden a willing participant or is he controlled by the shadows i think the answer in the later seasons that we get is that um, you know, they are willing participants, but I have never been convinced of that. And the reason that I'm not convinced of that is because of Sheridan's um, belief that 
his wife is gone, that she no longer is his wife uh, in the sense that she's some shell of her former self. So even though the, the, you know, the writing, you know, says later on that uh, they're willing participants, I've never been convinced of that. Well, and remember the writings coming from the three from the Icarus are the ones who tell us that, that they're willing participants. We got Mark Twain, we got Morden, and we got Sheridan's wife. They're all meat puppets. They've all been re- brought back to life, reanimated to be the bidding of the shadows. So, of course, they're going to tell Sheridan that they're willing participants because they want Sheridan to be in on their game. Yeah. And as soon as Sheridan says no, we see all go to hell. So I even think the writing that says that they're participants is just there to get Sheridan sense. to, you know, do their bidding. So they're absolutely meat puppets. And we know this for a fact because after Zaha Doom gets obliterated, Morden comes back, charbroiled, but he comes back. <laughs> so he's definitely a meat puppet. Well, I also the wonder with that too is because the way they phrased it was either you would agree to serve them or you would die. Mm-hmm. And what we obviously saw was that Morden continued on and has been doing various things, but none of these other survivors of the Icarus or crew of the Icarus have ever been brought out or used for anything until they were needed. Yep. So, you know, I almost take it as Morden is a willing participant. He's the one that said, sure, hell yeah, sign me up. Screw this. I'm on board. And the others probably didn't. That's a good point. when they were killed, they weren't necessarily disposed of. They were kept around that this could be handy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where maybe the Mark Twain character comes. I keep calling him Mark Twain because that's what he looks like. But maybe they're like, we need somebody who's older than Sheridan to act as kind of a mentor figure. So let's open up the crate and bring out an old guy to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I make the, That makes sense. But yeah, in, in either case, I don't think they are 100% willing. <laughs> the shadows will do what the shadows want to do. The different shadow creatures have a brawl and the rest of the universe is just in the middle. I mean, there's going to be a brawl between two main species, but it's not the shadows. It's the Vorlons in the shadows. The shadows control their group fairly well and the last question we have is will dr franklin ever learn his boundaries well he learns them better after quite a bit of uh his own soul searching uh his walkabout and his dealing with his uh, addiction but um yeah i think he he settles into being a, a much better character as we were saying before we went beyond the rim he he does have a great arc that it gets very interesting and and shows uh the good acting done by Richard Biggs. Exactly right. I, I was just thinking that that you know, that episode is actually one of the best of the series. That one where yeah. he gets stabbed and down below. Yep. And he's yeah. got that hallucination where it's him arguing with himself. Yep. And that alternate ego is very much the Franklin we're seeing now. Yes. Yep. The one who thinks he's God, the one who thinks he's untouchable. And he has that, you know, argument with himself over who's better and his own demons. And just it's fantastically acted uh, by Biggs, um, just being himself in that scene and coming to terms in the aftermath of that, I think, is where the character evolution really hits the ground. Another uh, aspect that I really like about Franklin down the road, too, is when we get the buddy cop between Franklin and then Marcus, uh, especially when they head off to Mars. I think when it comes to the reason why I'm so frustrated right now with the reactions to Franklin is I know Biggs is a great actor and I know this character is going to be able to do things. But yeah, yeah, he right now he's being written poorly. And that's not Biggs's fault. That's the writer's fault. Yeah. And John made a good point that, you know, there was there was some poor writing for 
Ivanova at, at times, and now we're seeing some of that, uh, some of that uh, loose writing. Uh, I'll say with uh, with Franklin, and we never get particularly good writing for uh, Talia either. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, there are some some uh, less than uh, optimal uh, uh, writing for a few of the characters, but, you know, overall, especially, um, you know, with, with our more favorite characters, things are about to really start rolling very soon here. Oh, come on. We got spider in the web coming up next episode. Talia's going to have some great writing. Well, to be honest, let's, let's look, you know, contemporaneously to when the show was done in the early nineties and the, when the writing of these scripts would have been, and honestly, there wasn't a lot of good writing for African-American male characters at this point in television, sure. um, especially in sci-fi. I think DS9, I, I will say to it, as much as we love DS9, um, one of the reasons why is that show with the writing for Cisco, and it's to Avery Brooks's credit, he pushed a lot of how that character was written. And I think that changed the dynamic of how characters of color were written into these shows. And at this point, there wasn't a lot of a roadmap for that. And I think sometimes it shows just based yeah. on, you know, the the, t- the times it was. And that's not a defense of it by any means. It's just, I think that's some of it. I don't want to go too de- deep down this rabbit hole, but I know there was an episode of DS9 that they were taking a, an ancient Bajoran ship um, and he was doing that with his son. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know for a fact, I heard that, that Avery Brooks pushed to have uh, a story like that Mm -hmm. to show how, you know, an African-American man could be an exceptional father. And I, I really have to credit the writers on DS9 for that particular episode, because that was a fantastic episode for uh, so many different reasons. Um, And we will see some great writing for Franklin as we've alluded to, but I think we're about what a season away at this point. Yeah. Season three before it really gets there. I'll join you in that rabbit hole with this DS nine season series. What you leave behind the scene where Cisco comes back and tells his now wife that he will return was forced into the script by Avery books because he flat out said, you are not going to have, a black father leave his unborn child alone. You're not yeah. going to do it. So he forced them to have that scene where he says, I will return. I just don't know when, because he did not want to leave the series like that. So yeah. Okay. Now we've talked about Deep Space Nine, which is an amazing show. <laughs> Celebrating 30 years, by the way. Predictions. There will be an investigation into what is happening at Zahadum. The, yeah, I don't know about an investigation, but I'll send it. a ship. It'll get destroyed. Right. Yeah, but in terms of the Babylon Five proper, um, no. no. I mean, as we learn, there are parties on the station who are absolutely interested in what's happening in Zahadum for many different reasons. Delin, obviously, Kosh, obviously, Jakar, but Londo knows something's up, which is why he's trying to keep things quiet. Um, and obviously, the command staff are starting to get wind of it too, but there won't be any kind of major investigation. I don't think Earth would let them because we know Earth's in league here too. They don't yes. know it. Yes. But I don't think Earth would allow it to happen either. Agreed. 100%. These creatures are the shadows. No. 
We, we already talked about that. Jakar will become more and more important with the fight against the shadows. Oh, yes, absolutely. And so will the Book of Jaquan. Yeah, as, as long say, as you don't thump the, the Book of, of Jaquan. Um, let's, let's talk about the book, though, for a minute, because sure. you know, the question came up about, is it a religious text? Is it a historical text? And Justin, again, he's, damn it, that, that boy is reading ahead in the book. Um, <laughs> it is both. You know, it, it is a historical text, but it's also a religious text. I, I don't see the Narn as having a book in terms of, quote unquote, the Bible, but they have religious texts of significance. And the book of Jaquan is one. We've heard him mention a few others. Jakar himself will write a book that becomes the next holy text of the of the Narn. We also know that Toph doesn't follow Jaquan. She follows yeah, somebody no, else. Toph doesn't follow it. Yep. So it, it is both. And it does have the history of the struggles of the people from the time of Jaquan, which was when the shadows occupied Narn. Mm-hmm. Jakar will be the key. Um, not so much really the key, but certainly a very important player. Um, well, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, there's a reason why he's not the key. He's not allowed to be. Delenn is absolutely going out of her way to not involve him in the conversations because he knows too much right now and she does not want him to tip off the shadows of what they know. And she tells him that flat out. She apologizes in season three and says, we knew more than we thought. And we we knew more than you knew we knew, 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 but we could not tip them off. And so that's why Jakar is being sidelined here as well too. And he will continue to be sidelined for quite some time. Well, he can't trust him either. He right. He's that's what I was going to say. He's not particularly trustworthy at this point. He he has a journey to go through before he's going to be the guy that they can they can bring into their inner circle and trust. Um, Londo ran to Morden with intel about what the council was talking about. Um, probably he was told to. Mm-hmm. That was his yeah. one deal so far. Is if you hear people talking about what's going on beyond the or around the rim. You need to tell us. Mm-hmm. Londo will be a catalyst for bad things happening to B5. Only about once a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, too. And I, I was waiting to hear as much of a Londo fan as John is. You know, I was waiting to hear if he's noticing any of the subtle changes happening with Londo. Because they are happening uh, throughout this season with his appearance, his attire. Um, his wardrobe is getting darker. Uh, some of his clothing is changing. And it's to really set that tone with uh, Londo and the path he's going. So, you know, this is not the Londo we had in season one. Yeah. And and it's going to continue to change as the look gets a little more darker, almost sinister in his dealings with Morden and where things are going. Um, and that's, you know, we've talked about the Easter eggs JMS mentioned. And this came up on the uh, Usenets going on about... Uh, Londo and some of those wardrobe changes. And he made a comment about, you know, it's really something when you know where you're going. I also, as we continue to see the transition of Londo, one of my favorite retcons in the entire show is we will see a flash forward where Londo is wearing his purple uh, coat on Centauri. And of course he transitions to that black coat. So when we get to that scene later on, he spills something or no, the, the, the laundromat screws up his black coat. So he has to wear the purple one again. This is one of my favorite retcons in sci-fi. Like, Oh, we screwed that up. We got to find a way to get him in his purple coat again. So we are building towards a big choice for Londo and I'm, 
and John is praying that he will make the right choice. We, we've talked about this a lot, guys. What else we want to add to this? Not much other than I, I, I don't think John's going to be particularly happy with the, uh, the breadth of that story arc for quite some time because he goes very dark for quite a while. And the other part of that is Jakar will be the one to discover Londo's deception and involvement with the shadows. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to an extent, yes, but I think at this, it gets to a point where everyone knows what Londo's up to when right. it all comes crashing down on Londo. Cause Londo's going to go off to Centauri and start doing his own stuff. And that's when people are going to know he's playing around. Mm-hmm. Londo will get in deeper with the shadows before he gets out. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, not much to say there. Londo won't get out with the shadows fully until he takes his last breath. That's when he gets out. And this will be a big Londo season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially not, the end of the season. Yeah, not in a good way. Londo's no. about to uh, fulfill the prediction from the techno mage or the prophecy from the techno mage, and it's yeah. not going to be good. Yeah, there's there's quite a quite an episode where he's. Uh, going after Jakar at a council meeting after uh, the fall of Narn. And that episode yeah, that is, a is fantastic. so well acted by Peter Jersik. Um, It's incredible, but it's yeah. also heartbreaking. Yeah. Cause it's where the Narn is surrendered and uh, Londo's reading the terms of the surrender. Yeah. And orders uh, Jakar taken to be turned over and Sheridan says, no, I've given him asylum. And Londo absolutely loses his shit. And no, that is a fantastic episode. Yeah. Not to take away from Andreas Katsalas, but, you know, Peter Jersik in that episode is just phenomenal. Well, he'll have his moment, though, coming up, because when there's that later episode uh, where there's the explosion, it's where they have the bomber on the station after they break with Earth. And there's that scene with uh, Andreas Katsoulis and Stephen First in the elevator where they're trapped. Mm-hmm. And Jakar just cuts his hand and goes, dead, dead, yes. dead, yes. dead. That scene, that is just one of his greatest scenes in this show. Agreed. Fully agree. I was thinking yeah. the exact same scene, Blake. Okay, guys. Uh, I think that wraps it up for now. And we have a Talia episode because Talia is still around coming up next week. So that'll Enjoy. be interesting. Yeah. Yeehaw. But as I kind of alluded to with the newbies, we're getting there. We're getting there. As soon as I think JMS takes full reins of this thing, either if you like JMS, you're going to be happy. If you don't like JMS, well, you probably shouldn't be watching this show. But uh, once he starts taking full control of this, uh, the writing, we're, we're off to the races. Final reminder to everybody again, please, please, please leave us a review on Apple, iTunes, podcast, wherever you want to call it. And we will be reading that review next week the winner of which will receive the john sheridan action figure that i'm fairly sure sat on a kb toy shelf back in 1997 or 1998 so and uh he's he's pretty pristine he hasn't been open unlike my other toys so until next week until we talk about a spider in the web i'm scott with me has been blake and kevin that's all i got there we go (laughs) i have walked in the valley of good keep on walking